you are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Golf Science Lab podcast. You're listening to the unedited version of an episode that came out last week. This is a conversation between myself and Lanto Griffin. Lanto won his first PGA Tour event last year at the 2019 Houston Open. He's an amazing story, whether it's growing up, how he got started in golf, really unique things there, the impact of losing his father at a young age, and then how he went to college golf, onto the tour, His road to the PGA Tour, losing his card, the mindsets and everything he went through to get back to the PGA Tour and ultimately winning. There's so much good stuff in here. Lanzo sat down with me for a really long time. He's so generous with his time. So I wanted to share the entire conversation. So much good stuff in there that I couldn't get into the main episode last week. So listen in to this conversation. Before we get into it, just a quick thank you to our sponsors, Whoop, Fitness Tracker. You've heard of them. You've seen them on the PGA Tour, whether it's Rory or Tiger or Scott Stallings wearing it. It is taken the tour by storm. I've been wearing one and I can't recommend it enough. Whoop, use the code GSL to get a percentage off. And then Superspeed, Superspeed Golf, they have a training system which is being used again by some of the best PGA Tour players around, helping them swing faster. They just released a new training aid called Superspeed C. This is around counterweight training that helps you uh, get a faster release speed of the golf club, which produces faster hand and arm speed in the golf swing. This just came out. I'm really excited to do some testing and learn more. So check that out over at superspeedgolf.com. All right, let's get into it. Let's just start at the beginning. Like when, uh, what was golf first introduced to you? Like what's your first kind of memory of, of golf? Yeah, so I, was, I grew up playing baseball and soccer then some basketball those were my three sports and uh christmas in 1996 my dad got me a i think a five seven nine three wood putter for christmas and we lived out on a farm so i mean i was we were homeschooled at the time and uh i pretty much just played you know baseball and soccer and i played you know with my friends that would come out to the farm so when i got the golf clubs i, I actually built a uh a little nine hole course around my house and you know granted they're probably 30 yard you know 30 to 60 yard holes and so i kind of just i would use my mom's uh garden equipment to dig holes and take sticks and put dish rags on them type deal so growing up it was more you know we didn't have a i don't even know if we had cable i think we just had three channels and and uh so i i spent a lot of time outside playing so uh, that that was kind of when I first got to start, and then um, I remember getting, you know, some bigger clubs like some persimmon woods from Played Against Sports for a dollar, and we'd go to the, you know, I got maybe when I was ten or eleven, we'd go to the baseball field and and hit balls, you know, like the just trash balls that you you know you buy a dozen of them for a dollar at at uh, Played Against. So that was kind of my first you know feel of golf and. And I, I wasn't too, I don't think I was too serious about it. And then when we moved from the, from the country, we moved in, in the town and I, we moved right next to a nine hole course called the Hill. And, uh, it was $9 to play all day. You know, it was, the Hill is a good name for it. It was straight up and down the 2,700 yard nine hole course. So, you know, I'd go out there with some buddies and, and normally I'd get there early on the weekend and, and play with one friend and then another friend would come later. So 
You know, some guys would play nine or 18 and I'd end up playing 36 or 54 pretty regularly. So I think that's kind of when I started getting good enough to where it was fun. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with it. So that was kind of the start for me. Well, it sounds like you were just kind of curious to begin with. Like, yeah, absolutely. It was just like something interesting. No, yeah. It's just a little, it was different than, um, you know, because with soccer and, and baseball, it's, it was kind of hard to play without somebody. So, you know, I had brothers and sisters and, you know, my dad loved to, you know, coach my teams and he, he would, uh, I mean, we would, we would throw out in the yard all the time and he would, but when he wasn't around, I, I mean, that's kind of why golf appealed to me early is because I could do it myself. I didn't need anybody there. And then, uh, you know, you didn't really rely on anybody but yourself. So I think that aspect at an early age kind of intrigued me and, and made me want to, you know, play more. And I think I was, it's kind of hard to remember, but I, I remember being pretty good. It, it came easy to me in the beginning only because, and granted, I don't know how, you know, how good I was, but I was good enough to where it was fun early, which, uh, which was big. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have any instruction. My dad, my dad had no idea. I mean, he, he could, he could hit a ball, but he had no prior knowledge. He never played, you know, in his, until he got me clubs, he had never really played a whole lot. My grandfather played, he was a pretty decent golfer, but so I think it was it was more one of those things where nobody pushed me to play at an early age. It was me wanting to me wanting to play, which I highly recommend to parents and and young players is not to you know give your kids every opportunity and and support them, but don't you know don't make them go practice for nine hours when they're eight years old and you know and, and take the, the the fun part away the enjoyment. You know, it's really interesting. Is like you so you remember yourself being pretty good, but you built your own golf course you know, in, at the farm. So you kind of scaled the course to how good you were as well, I would guess at the same time. Right. So it was yeah, like yeah. that I, we talk a lot about like scaling things down for people that are getting started. So it's more fun and they like have that kind of memory. And it sounds like you just did that, which is fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a huge proponent on the golf courses are too hard. I mean, golf courses are getting way more, way too difficult, way too long, way too, you know, between holes for, you know, the average golfer. I mean, there's a lot of the courses that, that I play now, it's just, I couldn't imagine being a 30 handicap and trying to, you know, play these courses, which obviously you need, you know, the top players need, you know, long, hard golf courses because of technology. But, you know, for the average golfer to get people interested in golf, a lot of these, a lot of the country clubs and the, the new, new style courses are just, they're not, you know, they're not set up to get, you know, women, kids, beginners, you know, to fall in love with golf. So, I, I mean, I was at a young age, I was just, all I wanted to do was play sports. So it wasn't so much that, you know, golf was my dream. It was just another activity that I could do. I mean, I still played, I bet I played baseball way more than golf and, and same with soccer, but it was just another activity that I could do to, you know, to kind of occupy my brain out on the farm. So it was, uh, you know, it was nothing but having fun and, and being creative, you know, at a young age when you don't have a computer or, or TV or, or a lot of toys. I mean, sports were everything for me. How old do you think you were when you, when you guys moved and you started playing like potentially like 36 a day at, at that, uh, at the new course? I think it was pretty soon after. So I think it was, I would say maybe a year after I got those clubs, we moved up into town and then, you know, I was still playing baseball and, and soccer a lot. But when my dad got sick, when I was in, 
I want to say sixth grade. And uh, when he got sick, we we kind of had to tone everything down. I couldn't really travel as much to play soccer, and and um, you know he was going through treatment, and my mom had to you know take care of that. So I, it was a little bit of a you know I still got to play baseball, but it wasn't you know to the amount that I wanted. So being able to kind of get away from that, walk to the golf course, play as much as I want whenever I wanted. That's kind of when it was like, man, this is fun. This is kind of an escape for me to get away from everything that was going on. So it was kind of a, you know, if my dad never got sick, I don't, I don't think I'd, I ever would have, you know, taken golf too serious. It's hard to really know, but I, I don't, I don't think I ever would have, you know, been where I am today. Wow. It's kind of a crazy realization or like, you know, kind of a crazy yeah. reality of, of what happened. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, you know, looking back, it's, you know, obviously I wish it wouldn't have happened the way it did, but you know, I've, you know, somewhat proud of myself for turning, uh, you know, probably the biggest tragedy that you can ever experience and turning it into, you know, my career. So there's a, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to look, look back. I mean, I don't look back on it that way all the time, but when I, you know, sit back after Houston, it was, you know, it's just kind of crazy that, you know, from my beginning to, to even play golf at all, that it was, I mean, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad managed a health food store. So we didn't have, you know, two nickels to rub together. We, we got everything from played against sports and, you know, some other parents would help, help support my soccer and, and all those travels. So we, uh, I mean, my parents did the best they could. We had a great childhood. They were amazing parents. We just didn't, obviously didn't have the money to afford golf knowing how expensive it is. So definitely a different upbringing, a little different than the majority of, you know, PGA tour players or college players. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, what other people have done and, you know, having those opportunities, but it was just, a, you know, a little bit of different, different, uh, start for me. So around that sixth grade kind of age range, you're heading out to the course all summer and just kind of spending all day there, just playing all day. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember vividly just getting, getting there at, uh, you know, a lot of days getting there right when the sun came up and, and I'd, you know, I don't know if maybe I'd walk home and eat lunch or, or just grab something at the course, but it was just, you couldn't get me out of there. I would, I would just play all, play all day. And, and I remember shooting, um, I think my mom's got, I think I have a, uh, like a tin of scorecards, like a little folder of them from back then. I remember seeing some 33s and 34s and God knows I didn't shoot that. It was probably more in the forties taking mulligans and gimmies and all that, but, but it, uh, <laughs> It's funny looking back. I mean, it was an, it's an easy golf course, but it was uh it was it was a perfect place for me to get my start because you could, you know, I don't think there was a hole over 350, and you know, there's several par fours in the 250 range. So being able to make birdies and and kind of have that sense of achievement at a young age with the game kind of it drives you to want to you know keep playing and keep getting better. Whereas if I was on a 18 hole country club and you know i could only play after four o'clock and there'd be people pushing me and that type of deal it would have been you know it would have been it would have been a little different but um you know the nine dollars play all day was it was just perfect for me for where i was were you playing with friends like did you have a bunch of competitions kind of going do you remember in, in those years were there a group of you or yeah we had uh i can't remember you know, I think there was days when I'd play by myself and then there'd be days where I'd have, like, I know my buddy, Evan Carsonson, he'd come play with me. And then my buddy, Thomas King and Ben Hart, they'd, they'd come and play. They never, I mean, they never even played high school or middle school golf or anything like that. So it wasn't like I was playing with, 
you know, they were just soccer players and they were similar to me. They just wanted to play sports. So they would do it, you know, and, and they ended up playing, you know, soccer in high school. And I think when I was 13, I quit everything and, and just focused on golf. So at that early age, I think I had, you know, several friends, but none of them were serious about it. It was more of just kind of a daycare for their parents to get them out of the house. And, and we would go and just, you know, run up and down the hill. How'd you make that decision when you're 13 to say like, this is what I'm going to do? Well, I definitely, I vividly remember I, I was a, I was a really good baseball player. That was, that was my, my game. And I was 13 playing in the, the 14, 15 travel, like the all-star league. So we would travel and I always played shortstop and pitcher and batted third or second or fourth. You know, I was always, I'd always been the best player since I was five years old. And when I played up, I was the smallest kid on the team and, and coach put me, you know, in right field and I was batting ninth and I was terrified at the plate because these, you know, kids were throwing 80 miles an hour and I got hit. I got hit in, uh, I remember we were in South Boston at the state tournament and uh, I remember getting hit in the shoulder and just being like, screw this, man, I'm, I'm done. Like, this is, this is not fun anymore. So the, the enjoyment of baseball you know, started going away for me. And then, and I was still, and I was getting, I was falling in love with golf at the time. So it was, and I wasn't good at, I wasn't good at basketball and soccer required a lot of running. So it was a, it was kind of an easy fit, you know, for me. And then that, that was right around that time is when one of my friends brought me down to Blacksburg country club. And I I met the, the head pro there, Steve Prater, who's my coach now. And so I got a couple lessons with him and, you know, he had to have inspired me, you know, telling me that, wow, you got a, you got a lot of talent type deal. So I think Steve kind of, you know, he must have inspired me and motivated me to, you know, you have a chance to be really good if, you know, if you, if you want to be, and, you know, he didn't have to tell me that twice. So when I started going down there, that was kind of right when I was too small to play baseball. And um, so I think it was just a perfect storm of, I'd always loved baseball. Golf was new to me golf became more fun um because you know i wasn't handicapped like i was in baseball at the time and um uh, and then it just kind of transitioned my love for baseball started going away and 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 golf started taking off so you kind of had this experience with an instruction a little bit what did anything change after that or what changed after you you know like i'm, I'm gonna yeah, be a golfer so, yeah yeah so my so steve prater the day the day my dad but my dad passed away about nine ten months after he got sick when he got diagnosed and um so steve the day my dad passed away i'd been going down to the country club a little bit but i wasn't a member so i couldn't really afford to go a whole lot so i'd go down and and do the junior clinics with him and then um and then i'd go to the hill and play and the day that you know my dad passed away steve called me and and gave me a free membership and he said he, he would teach me for free and he would uh you know i had full full privileges of the course so I mean, that was just, I mean, that was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life, you know, at the same time, because, you know, this giant door shut and then a giant door open, you know, the opportunity and, and Steve kind of, he took me under his wing and, and I ended up, you know, spending a lot of, a lot of nights at his house because, you know, teaching pros, he would teach all day on the range. So his son was a really good golfer. He was four, four, four and a half years younger than me, but I would stay at, at his house almost every weekend and we'd be at the course until dark and then you know we'd go back and his wife would 
you know, make a couple pizzas or whatever. And we watch movies and then we'd get up and go to the course with Steve at 7am and man, we hit, we would be on the range for several hours and go play 18 and then come back. And, and so Steve would, it wasn't so much having, you know, hour, two hour lessons with him, but he would always, you know, monitor me and his son. So I kind of got in that little circle with, with Steve and his son, Jack and, and, um, you know, for whatever reason, I think it just immediately clicked for me. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, and having, having somebody like Steve that, you know, kind of saw, you know, vulnerable stage in my life, you know, just going through what I did, you know, he was, you know, I'll forever be, you know, in debt to him for that. And, and, uh, we still work together now. So, um, you know, without Steve, you know, opening that door for me, I don't, I mean, who knows where I'd be right now. Wow. That's amazing. Do you think, you know, like I couldn't imagine having, you know, having a father pass away at that age. Do you feel like that kind of helped like motivate you to, to work hard at something and like dive into something or like, what, what do you think? I, I mean, just reflecting a little bit, like the impact. Yeah, of that would be. No, to, to a certain extent, but I mean, I, I was always self-motivated from a very young age. Um, you know, even when I was two years old, my parents told me they were building a deck at, at our house in California. And, and the, uh, the guy that was building the deck for us, he had to leave his tools at the house every single night because I would scream bloody murder if he didn't, because I wanted to play with his tools all night. And so I always had like a little bit of addictive personality, the, you know, and it, that, that hasn't really changed baseball. And that was baseball filled that void for me. I always, you know, when I got into something in sports, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything else. So when golf came along and I had that opportunity with Steve, I mean, I wanted to be the best player. I wanted to, you know, there was no, you know, I don't want to practice today. It was every single day I wanted to, you know, my mom never pushed me. I, I had to beg for her to, you know, I need to go to the course. I need to be there all day. I need you to come pick me up type deal. And it, it worked out great because she would, she ended up going back and, and, uh, teaching. So, you know, after school, I'd go to the course and I'd, you know, she would come home and, you know, and get me at seven o'clock at night on her way home from work. And, you know, so there was always that, you know, I kind of used golf as my outlet. It was kind of my daycare it was my after school activity. I just, but that, that was what I wanted to do when nobody was ever pushing me to do it. I was begging people to let me do it. So I think that self-drive, you know, started at a young age, just being addicted to sports, watching them on TV, playing them, whatever it was, I wanted to be you know, uh, that's, that's what made me happy. So I think it was pretty easy for me to, to, to motivate myself. Yeah. Well, how long did it take you before you, you realized that, Hey, I'm pretty good at this. I don't think it took, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but I, I think I kind of knew it, knew it right away. I mean, and it, I don't know, I don't think I was sitting there thinking hey, I'm going to win on the PGA tour. I'm going to be play professionally at that age. You know, all you want to do is just play and practice and you just want to get better. And, so I didn't, it wasn't like I was sitting there, you know, looking at, I want to be a, I want to get a full scholarship to play in college or anything like that. It was just, I don't want to do anything other than this. And, and I was good at it from, an, you know, when, whenever you're good at something, it's, it's way more fun than, you know, when you're just struggling. And I obviously, I think my first nine hole tournament, I shot 51 and that was at Blackfoot Country Club. So it wasn't like I was a child prodigy at 13, but I was good enough to, to see that you know to see the light at the end of the tunnel type deal so um you know from that aspect i think probably when i was 14 i know my freshman year in high school 
our first match, you know, my best friend now, uh, Oliver was two years older than me. And he, uh, my, he was, he was the golfer in our area and, and he would beat the crap out of me every time we played. But our first, uh, my first tournament freshman year, I beat him. And I think that, that day was like, all right, you're pretty, you're pretty good. Cause I went from shooting 51 on nine holes when I was 13 to, you know, when I was shortly after I turned 14, I shot 71 on the same course and, and won the first high school tournament. So those two years, you know, from when I was, you know, 12 to 14, I, I improved a ton. So that was, I think that, that part of it was fun for me. It's like when you're, I mean, if you're 50 pounds overweight and you've never worked out in your life and you start working out every day and you lose 30 pounds in the first month and you gain a bunch of muscle, it's pretty motivating, right? I mean, you know, if you're a bodybuilder and you work out every day, you might, you, it's hard to see a whole lot of, you know, improvement. So but when you're when you're motivated already and then you start seeing really a lot of improvement, it's it's you know all you want to do is just keep getting better and keep having that. In my opinion, happiness comes from achieving goals. So you know if you can go and and anything you do in life, that's true happiness comes from achieving what you want to achieve and working hard at it. So I think that's that's what kind of motivated me to just keep improving. By the end of high school, were you a pretty well ranked junior in the area, like in, in competing? You know, by by the end of that, or yeah, you know, I got better every year. So I wasn't I wasn't the you know the kid where college coaches were calling, knocking down the door. My my grades weren't weren't amazing. I I think I had a three point two in high school, so that held me back a little bit. Uh, Virginia Tech, and I was six sixteen. I, I think I just turned seventeen. It was the summer before my senior year in in high school. I shot. I shot 61 at Blacksburg Country Club where I grew up playing with a Virginia Tech coach watching me and he watched the entire round and you know my only goal was to go to Virginia Tech and when I we went in for me and my mom went and sat down with both the coaches and I thought they were going to offer me a spot on the team or a scholarship or something and he told me that he wanted to see my algebra grades my senior year or the spring semester so that was like getting kicked in the balls I mean that that hurt pretty bad I thought I was going to be a uh, Virginia Tech Hokey and and it it didn't work out. The coach didn't want me, so I uh, Virginia Commonwealth came along and and the coach Matt Ball gave me a full scholarship. So that was you know when you have your heart set on something and it doesn't work out, you know there's two ways you can either discourage you or it can motivate you. And I you know I, it just turned to fuel for me. I it pissed me off and and uh, made me want to work even harder. So I ended up going to VCU and our first tournament in college. You know, and I, it wasn't like I really blamed the coach at Tech. I wasn't, you know, I was really good in in our area, but I wasn't a nationally ranked, you know, player. I, d- I didn't win any AJGAs. I didn't win any national tournaments. I didn't never qualified for the U.S. Amateur or the U.S. Junior. So it wasn't like it was a a big snub, but it was like, all right, well, if you want to, you know, if you want to be good, you're gonna have to get better. So when I went to VCU, it was it was a huge wake up call going from a small town to a you know, fairly large city. So going there was, was big. I didn't, I didn't have as much, you know, Steve Prater gave me a lot of instruction, but I didn't know anything about working out. There was no track man. So there was no, you know, any of this stuff. So I was a scrawny 162 pounds when I went to college. And, and, uh, so it was, it, I wasn't ready to play a big time, you know, division one team. I could have been a role player at tech. I, I would have been probably a fourth or fifth guy my freshman year, but I went to VCU and I was, 
you know, probably the best player my freshman year, maybe not the best player, me and Rafa Campos, who's on the PGA tour. It's kind of me and him were, you know, one, two, three, four in that area. And then, you know, sophomore year, you know, I got a little bit better and, and me and Rafa kind of, I think me and Rafa kind of push each other to get better. And so it was just kind of a gradual, it, it, ever since I was 13, I feel like I've gotten better every year. It hasn't been as, as fast as I'd like, but one thing I've thought about a lot is a lot of, a lot of the young, you know, young players that are number one in the country, winning the U S kids and the junior world. And they're traveling all around the world when they're 12 years old, the one that can wear you out, you can get burned out at a young age. And then also I feel like a lot of these prodigies, everybody tells them how good they are. And at a certain time, they start kind of feeling like they're invincible and they don't need to work as hard. Now, obviously there's guys like Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler that, that keep progressing and that they really are the prodigy, but you see so many all Americans, AJJ all Americans that don't do anything in college or they don't, or there might be a first team all American in college or freshman year. And then all of a sudden they don't ever even, you know, make it to the PGA tour. So looking back on it, I think it, it was kind of the perfect storm for me is just a, I always had that carrot dangling. I was never the, in my hometown, I was the man, I was the best player, but you know, when I went to play bigger tournaments and when, when I got to college, I, I was never the best player. I was always, I always had that, that goal to, to kind of chase. So I was always motivated. I mean, I was always, you know, wanting to be better than I was and, and knew I needed to get better. So I mean, going from 50 shooting 51 at 13 to shooting 61 at 17 hey that's like that's a pretty good title there um (laughs) what were the practical things that helped you get there was it like the instruction of like we made your swing better in this way or i think it was yeah no i I know exactly what you're saying i I think it was just you know one wanting to be better and, and loving the game and not wanting to be anywhere else i mean if i practice as much now as i did back then i would jump off a cliff i mean i was i mean that's all i would do but we had a really good group of, of juniors. Uh, Steve Prater's, I mean, he's got to be one of the best coaches for beginners, juniors, you know, women, any, anybody that's just being introduced to the game. Steve's got an infectious personality. He's always smiling. He's really smart. He's got, he knows the golf swing. He knows he's got a different way of teaching beginners than he, than he does, you know, really good players. And, we had, so there's so many juniors down there. I mean, he must've had 20 to 30 juniors, you know, that would regularly be at junior clinics or, or at the course. So we had that. A lot of my friends went from, you know, I I was friends with a lot of soccer players and, and all those kids that I played other sports with. Then now I have a whole new group of friends that play golf and we would, we would go out and gamble. We would, you know, we'd play 36 holes at the country club and, and, you know, play wolf. We'd play Nassau's, we'd play whatever it is. So I think, wanting to beat your friends and kind of competing against each other. Cause I didn't, we didn't have the money to go play AJGAs and, you know, I, I played a couple of them, but not until I was 16 or 17. So we just found our own games and we had a, a Roanoke Valley junior golf tour. We had a Blue Ridge junior golf tour. There's two little, you know, nine hole, sometimes 18 hole tournaments. And I'd play every single one of those. And I mean, shoot, I must've had 50 trophies from those tours. So it wasn't like I was, you know, if I was playing AJGAs instead of those, I might have been, I might have progressed a little faster and I might have gotten more love from college coaches. But, you know, my reality at the time was I had to, you know, I didn't know any different. I didn't even know what the AJGA was when I was 14 or 15. I was just, you know, I was happy playing these, these local tournaments and you couldn't, 
you know, there wasn't, I, I didn't take any of them off. And, uh, but I think that having that core group of friends that, you know, you have that camaraderie, you have that team atmosphere, even though we wanted to be each other's brains. And I mean, I remember nights, my buddy, Corey Bell, we'd go, we'd have putting contests and, you know, our parents would have to light shine the, the car lights on the putting green at nine o'clock in, in the summer, just because we, we had to, you know, finish our putting contest or, or whatever it may be. So having that, uh, I tell kids that all the time or parents, you know, at a young age, find a group, find a course that is friendly to juniors and find a course that has a good pro that will motivate you and have, you know, have other juniors that you can compete against. Cause I, I'm a hundred percent positive that had a huge impact on me. One falling in love with the game because I wasn't there by myself. I wasn't there feeling like I was stepping on the members toes, even though I probably was, but just having that internal competition with yourself and then having it with your friends, it made, uh, it made golf fun for me. And anytime something's fun is, uh, at, you know, when you're a kid is the most important thing to make you want to keep doing it. I love that anecdote. That is uh, such a common theme from conversations that I've had. It seems like almost every player at your level had some kind of core group of friends like that, that just were yeah. just competed constantly and we're just always out Absolutely. there. And it's like, it's crazy, right? Like, cause we think about all the things that are super important for kids and like, it's not, it's not the thing that most people point to first. No, yeah, there, there's several juniors that I know now that, you know, the only time they hit balls is with is getting a lesson. They get lessons, they'll get a two or three hour lesson. They'll go on the course with their coach and then they'll leave and they'll leave the course and they'll come back and they get another. So like they never have that, the freedom to go figure it out on their own. So me and Steve would work. He, I don't think we ever really worked hours at a time. It would be, you know, he'd come check me at the junior clinic, give me a five minute little tweak up. And then, you know, I'd come back a couple hours later and he'd, you know, give me another pointer. So it was one of those things where he would give me advice and then I'd go figure it out on my own. And then I'd come back, we'd do the same thing. And just, you know, that, that part, it helped me, you know, be able to figure it out on my own and not be self-reliant on having a coach or a parent. Cause my, I mean, obviously my dad passed away and my mom was working all the time. So it, I didn't have that. I didn't have parents shoving information down my throat and pushing me. I had to find that, you know, inside myself. So I always tell parents that, you know, make your kid be by themselves and or be with their friends and make them figure it out. Make them, you know, get them instruction, but then also let them figure it out on their own so they're not, you know, just always relying on somebody else to help them. Talking about your golf swing just quickly here, but like, has that pretty much been similar, you know, from starting back and he, you know, Steve just kind of tweak it, tweaked it over the years. Like you've hit a fade and always hit a fade kind of deal or like, have you gone through significant changes? Yeah, no, I definitely made made a lot of improvements on in the in the golf swing itself. I was always, you know, I'd always uh, Steve's Steve Prater's thing is hit back, shoulder over. So your hip goes towards the target, and your shoulder goes behind the ball, and and you have a big turn, which is a really good way to teach you know teach people from having you know the reverse C and and falling back and having a proper backswing. But you know, I did that so many times that I ended up getting to the point where you know it. it probably isn't the best golf swing for the top level. It's a great way to get introduced. So me and Steve started kind of getting away from that a little bit. And, um, so in college I was a, I was a good player in college. I had 15 top fives in college, I think, but I never won. So I wasn't, I wasn't ready to win big tournaments yet. And, um, so when I 
when I came out and turned pro, you know, I, I wasn't the player that was like, all right, I'm going to be on the PGA tour in two years, or I expected to be on the nationwide tour at the time. And now it's corn Ferry tour. You know, I was just, I was so happy playing mini tours at the time. I felt, you know, mini tours were, you know, incredible at the time. And, um, but I, I went to Q school my first year. I missed first stage. Um, I bogeyed the last four holes to miss by three. I think I played with Cheston Hadley the last round. So the next year, I know I ended up playing another full year of mini tours, and then the next two years, I made it through first stage, and I missed I missed second stage by maybe five to ten shots each year, minimum minimum of five, probably closer to ten. So when that happened, Steve, you know, Steve had heard about Todd Anderson, and he knew him. You know, he didn't know him personally, but he knew how good of a coach he was, and he had a couple of players go to him that he knew, and and he really liked. Todd's philosophy. He knew he was, he had a lot of tour players. So Steve actually 2013, I missed, I missed second stage of Q school in Dallas and Steve, you know, me and Steve are talking, I'm frustrated. I, you know, I wasn't even close to making it. It was actually the year Justin Thomas made it through second stage. And Steve was like, you know, I think it's time for you to go get some, you know, get another opinion. So you know, he was like, let's get you set up with Todd Anderson. You know, he's, he, he knows some guys in Roanoke that would pay for it because Todd was expensive. And so he kind of set that up for me. And then, and then looking back on, it, I mean, that's kind of like your wife being like, you know, I'm, I'm not giving you what you need. You need to go date other women to a certain extent. Like, I'm not going to leave you. I don't want to, you know, get divorced, but you need to go see somebody else to, you know, see if they have something that, that I don't have. So that, you know, Steve not having an ego and, and being, you know, cause he, he poured his whole, he poured everything he had into my golf game and he got me the college and he got me a scholarship and he did all this for me. And then he had the, yeah, he, he had the ability to, to take his ego out of it and, and recommend me to go see Todd. So, uh, I started working with Todd right after second stage in 2013. Todd had a couple different, you know, I was always, I always slid into the ball my hips slid a lot and I didn't really get a proper turn behind it and for whatever reason the way todd explained it you know it's just a little bit different than than steve todd's used to working with tour players you, know, you had billy horschel and i mean he's worked todd's worked with probably 20 guys that have won on the pga tour where steve's used to working with your average you know beginner and country club guys so we've been a team for the last six years and in the first year 2014 i made it through second stage that was a huge accomplishment for me you know, dealing with acute school pressure and, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't take off right after that. I only played in one or corn Ferry tour event that year. And, but I saw steady improvements, you know, I, I had some really good instruction on a tour level and then he would, him and Todd would talk. And so we just worked as a team and, and then, uh, I've progressed, you know, Steve got me to a certain level. Steve knew he couldn't, he couldn't get me to where I needed to be. And so he brought in Todd and, and now the rest is history. So what's the secret sauce? What helped you make the, the jump when you uh, started working with him? Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I have some videos from, from back in the day and I, I never really got a full shoulder turn and I was, I was real flat and I, I've always, everybody wants to, f- to flatten their, to uh, flatten the club coming down and shallow it. Well, I always did that naturally and I would shallow it from, from a flat position. So and I was, and my arms were pretty close to my body on the backswing. I didn't, I didn't really get behind it, and I had a lot of arm runoff. So Todd, you know, the first lesson we had, he wanted me to get 
you know, sync up my backswing with one of them, but then get more rotary. So instead of sliding, sliding into it, hip sliding and squaring it or, and squaring the club with my hands at impact, you know, he got it to where I could be more rotational, use my bigger muscles and square the club with my body, which ultimately just made me more consistent. And it took me, I mean, it took a long time to, you know, to, to figure it out. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was, it was really hard. It was a, it was a fairly big change. My results kind of stayed the same in the beginning. You know, I didn't get much better, but I didn't get worse, but you know, fast forward a couple of years and, uh, I started seeing some really good improvement and I, I didn't have, we didn't have the money to work with, you know, Todd a lot. I'd go see him maybe two or three times a year, you know, maybe, maybe four max early on. And, but Todd, Todd's very simple. He's, you know, he's got his, his way of doing things and it, it clicked with me. So it was just cleaning it up. It was just cleaning it up and making, you know, cause if you, if you play four days, you play golf tournament for four days, any inconsistencies are going to bear there. I mean, you could play one round, shoot 65, but you know, if you're not consistent over four days, it doesn't really matter. So that was, that's why Todd's been so con- such a good coach for so long is that he, he's got a way to, the one not over talk and not, you know, confuse you a lot, but make, make the golf swing real simple and, and get it to where timing isn't, you know, you're not going to rely on timing every day. Cause if you rely on timing every day, you get to the golf course, you know, there's a good chance there's going to be, you know, certain days where you're just going to have a double miss and you're going to shoot, you know, some pretty high numbers. So yeah, me and Todd are, uh, you know, I work with Todd a lot now. He travels to tour events, but I still, me and Steve are, you know, me and Steve still work on the golf swing together, but we're, you know, we're like best friends still. And we, we talk all the time. So it's, it's really cool to have both of them, both of them respect and, and really like the other person. So it's, it's a really good little team atmosphere I got going on with both of them. So you said you weren't even close to getting through Q school. I think it was 2013, you said, and then you made it through Q school. What do you think is the biggest difference, you know, between those two, between those two tournaments from, from those two years? Yeah, the golf, uh, golf swing for sure. Uh, was it, so I you're remember, just striking it better or? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, it wasn't good. I mean, I was nowhere near ready to even play on the corn Ferry tour at the time, but you know, having the confidence, the fact that Todd even wanted to work with me was, it gave me confidence knowing that, you know, he was a top 10 coach in the world, you know, ranked, you know, he's ranked in the top 10 and he had all these tour players and, and he- hearing him, you know, be like, you know, I, you know, your golf swing's great. You have a ton of ability. I didn't believe in myself at all. I mean, I, to a certain extent I did, but I, you know, I, I've always had doubts. Am I good enough? Am I, you know, cause being trying to be, you know, one of the top players in the world at anything, whether it's music or baseball or golf or even a scientist, whatever it may be. I mean, there's so many people that try and fail and to be the, the to get to the top, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of good, you know, good breaks, having the right people, in your, on your team and having somebody like Todd come in and reinforce that, Hey, you are good enough. You know, I believe in you, even if, even though I didn't believe in myself, knowing that he believed in me, it helps me believe in myself. So I, I, you know, when I'd go to the course and go to tournaments, you know, you know, having a coach like Todd on your side, you know, it's saying stuff like that, you know, if he believes it, then maybe I am good enough, even though you have to, you know, you have to prove it to yourself. People that always, people that talk themselves up, it's usually a false sense of, security they're they they want you to think they're good even though they don't think it which that wasn't you know that wasn't me i was i knew i was really good in a small world but if i wanted to be really good in the big world i had to 
you know, I had to find some, some more self-belief and, and to have somebody like Todd come in and, and tweak me up and be willing to even work with me. That did wonders for my confidence. Gotcha. And, and kind of the biggest change for you was just more to confidence in the big picture as well, but then confidence more so in just your ability to show up and be a good ball striker, you know, kind of every, every day, or was it that you went from hitting a draw to a fate? Like what, what was kind of the, the thing that from a swing standpoint, I was always at a short backswing. It was more armsy in the, in the transition. And then I would get real shallow and I'd slide into it. So when Todd, me and Todd started working, he wanted me to, to have a deeper backswing with more width and then be more rotational to where I wouldn't slide in and use my hands. So that part was really hard for me because that was different than anything I've ever done. But anytime you have more depth and I mean, I still struggle with it. It's, it's what me and Todd and Steve work on constantly is having more depth in the backswing, not falling back, not dropping my, not my head, not dropping. Cause anytime I've always struggled with my right shoulder dropping in the transition and my hands pulling down. And when you do that, the only way to save it is to shut the face down and square it up that way. So my recent success, the last you know year or so, I've gotten really good at you know getting my hands higher and getting more depth in the backswing, and then being my tempo's gotten a lot better where I don't rely on timing. So from that aspect, being a little bit more stable over it, so I'm not falling, you know, I'm not falling left on my backswing and then falling back on um, my downswing. Now I'm getting behind it and then trying to cover it with my chest. I always had a, I feel like I always played a draw. Uh, pretty much my whole life and I'd always have a double miss you know a lot I, I did I can't tell you many times I've you know I've been trying to hit a draw and I'd hit a low hook or the miss would be a, a block slice so basically I would get stuck and narrow and then if if I wanted to save if I didn't want it to go right I'd shut it down and hit a heel pull draw so two years ago I, I'm qualified for the U.S. Open and for whatever reason I got to Shinnecock and I was so tired of having a double miss and the, the rough was so long, like three to four feet. And the fairways were somewhat generous for us open, but if you were off the fairway, you had no shot. So I remember getting there and thinking and being on the range and just, just hitting cuts. And I never, I'd never gone to a cut full time, but that week I went, you know, I would just kind of feel like I chopped over it and hit like a spinny cut out in the fairway. And that was one of the best driving weeks. I ended up missing the cut by one, but I drove it. I drove it pretty well. So ever since that week, you know, I've gone to a cut, you know, I've gone to a cut full time and it, it still wasn't perfect. I mean, I, you know, I'd still hit double misses and everything, but from a, it's hard to change 10, 15 years of doing something, you know, overnight. So it, it took several years, but now I'm at the point, you know, last fall, I lost my tour card. I lost it's kind of getting your heart ripped out because I really wanted a second shot on the tour and I didn't, it took, uh, that got taken away from me. So last fall, I ended up taking two or three months off. I didn't make a ton of swing changes where in the past when I missed Q school or whatever, you know, I'd be mentally grinding and trying to change my swing. And I always wanted to be somebody other than myself. So me and Todd worked a lot. You know, I, I didn't hit, a, I didn't hit a ton of balls last fall, but when I did, I was, it was hitting a cut. I was hitting a cut every single, every single shot I hit was a cut with the driver. I still work my irons a little bit. I can still hit draws and fades with that. And I, I draw my three wood, but off the tee, there's so much less anxiety now. You know, when I get over a ball, knowing that I'm not going to double miss it. Whereas in the past, I might, I might have a double, double miss 
25% of the time. Now it's down to maybe 5% of the time. Every once in a while, I'll be trying to hit a fade and I'll hit a pull. But instead of hitting a pull hook and, you know, I'm 20 yards closer to the fairway or 20 yards less in the water. And I might hit in the water, but it's not going to be in the middle of the lake. It's on the edge of the lake. So, so looking back on the last three to four years, it's really been just narrowing up my misses it's amazing you can go out there and hit it you can hit it crappy but if you know where your misses are going you can you can still shoot a score i mean i, I feel like a lot of my rounds out i get done and i feel like i hit it awful and i shoot 68 67 and it's like wow how did that happen well you look at your misses you miss it in the right spot you're not hitting it out of play you know and then obviously the short game and and putting has come a long ways the last few years so you know, for anybody that's, you know, I, I try and tell many tour players and, and juniors that don't feel like you need to be the man overnight. It's never going to happen. Make make small changes every single day. Just keep trying to get better and be yourself. Don't try and be Adam Scott or Tiger or Rory because their bodies, if they try to swing like you, they couldn't do it, you know, because everybody's unique in their own way. So that's kind of when the light bulb went off is when I, I finally just committed to being my own self and, and finding my DNA, finding what works for me and not trying to be somebody that I'm not. I couldn't resonate with that more. I, I think that's so true. And that's, that's fascinating. I, I mean, just to kind of, kind of wrap talking about those few months, you said you took two to three months kind of off, you know, after you, you lost your card and whatnot, like practically, what does that look like? I mean, just like, being yourself and not trying, trying to be someone else. Well, when you go, I mean, you get your dream job and it gets taken away from you. It's, it's hard to go back. I mean, if somebody had told me in 2012, Hey, look, you're going to, you're going to get your corn fairy tour card. You're going to play a couple of years. And that's it. I, you know, I probably would have taken it, you know, because that was, you know, the goal was always to to win on the PGA tour, but you can't get there without getting to the, you know, the, the minor league. So, you know, going and getting a taste of the PGA tour, having a really good shot to keep your card in the, in the finals and then it not happening. It was, I, I needed a break. I needed to get away. I was playing 2017. I played 13 straight weeks in the summer. And then last, last season on the PGA tour, I played, you know, nine straight weeks or 10 straight weeks. So, and I was burnt out. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, when you're a kid, you're playing, you know, you play for the love of the game and we still do. I mean, I feel like a lot of tour players still love the game, but at the same time, it's a job. I mean, if you don't perform, you're not paying bills, you're not going to continue to play. So it's definitely a job now, but those two or three months, I made enough money on the PGA tour to where I didn't have to go get a job. I didn't have to go play mini tour events to support myself. I had a little bit of a cushion to where, all right, for the first time in your life, you know, obviously I just lost my dream job. And I didn't want to go back to the corn fairy tour, but at the same time, I was like, all right, I can take a little breather, reflect what's working, what's not working. And I bought a house last October, you know, two weeks after I lost my card, I ended up closing on a house. So for me, I got away from golf by renovating my house. I painted, you know, I did a lot of painting. I did a lot of, you know, building furniture, setting it up, building walls, you know, just doing some stuff that I've never been able to do in my life. And that kind of got me, you know, when you, when you do stuff around the house for two months straight and, you know, you're working until three, 4 AM, some nights painting your bathroom and being on your knees and it makes you, you're like, man, I'm pretty lucky to play golf. And I'm, you know, and that, that motivated me to come back, you know, pretty hungry this year on, on the corn fairy tour. And when I got to the Bahamas, the first event of the year in Exuma, I was, I mean, I was rusty. I was, I was hitting it well and my game felt good, but 
when you take three months off of, of competitive golf, it's hard to get back into it. So I, I went to the pro-am dinner and Greg Norman was there. He was giving a little talk and he, uh, he, he built the course there in Exuma and, and he, he made one comment that really resonated with me. He was like, when I look at players, you know, that win and then they miss three cuts in a row and finish 70th. And then, you know, those guys aren't ready for the PGA tour. Those guys aren't ready to be, you know, world number one or to be, you know, top hundred in the world, whatever it may be, keep their card. He's like, I look at the guys that are consistently finishing top 25, top 20, you know, they'll, they'll have a win, but then finish 12th and 28th and then 13th. And I was like, man, and I looked back at my results and I was like, I've had so many miscuts, 70th places, 50th. I didn't, I wasn't consistently up there on the top. So I was like, man, that's, that makes total sense to me. Cause if you can week in, week out, if you can keep giving yourself chances to be successful and be, you know, maybe not win, but finish, you know, turn a 40th place into a 20th place, those add up over the season. So that was immediately, I was like, all right, that's my new goal. I want to have a lot of top 25s and, and la- this, oh, not last year, this season, I think I had 11 top 22s on the corn Ferry tour and I included a win in a second. So I ended up finishing fifth on the the points list this year, got my card back and going into the PGA tour season, I had the same mindset. I'm going to grind out every single shot and, you know, give it everything I got every week. And it takes, it's, it's incredible how exhausted I am after weeks now because I really don't take, take for granted any shot now. Whereas in the past, I remember, you know, being over a shot and I look up and I'm, I'm aiming too far right. And I don't really have a clear picture. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to hit it. Cause a lot of times you'll still pull it off and you'll hit a decent shot, but those lack of focus, that, that's when the double miss comes in and I make a triple. I mean, I always had big numbers. And if you look at my stats now and I make, I don't make very many bogeys anymore, which has never been me. And, um, I contributed that to, you know, guys like Greg Carden helped me with the mental side a little bit, but also internally just wanting to be, wanting to be consistent and wanting to be, you know, kind of be a master at my trade. I don't know. That sounds kind of weird, but you know, just not really taking anything for granted because if you do, you know, that can backfire and then you get, you know, you get on tilt and you get emotional and all this. So if you can go out there on every single shot and give it everything you have, it's way easier to accept bad weeks and it's way easier to accept, you know, poor results you know, throwing in the towel and, and cashing it in. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I did it a ton, but in college, I definitely, you can't shoot 78 to 82 on the easy golf courses without cashing it in and, and giving up. And I'd have several rounds a year where I would do that. And now, you know, now it's different. I've had six top twenties in a row on the PGA tour, including a win. And, and it's, it's kind of paramount going back to that talk. I heard, you know, Greg, Greg Norman give that, that kind of, that lit a fire under me to, to want to be that guy that, you know, one of the legends talked about. So, so that part's pretty gratifying that I'm consistently, and I, I know it's not going to last forever. I'm going to have, I'm going to miss cuts and I'm going to have bad weeks and whatever, but I've made, I think I've made 14 straight cuts on the PJ tour now. So something mentally has clicked to where I'm, you know, I'm really giving it everything I got. Yeah, man. It sounds like you're in a really good place right now. Do you feel like there are any habits or routines that help you, help you be in that, that place? I think it's just day in, day out, wanting to, you know, wanting to be as good as I can get and realizing that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, you really don't need to be perfect to play well. I mean, if you can, if your short game's good and you're, and you're putting on days, you're not hitting good. You can, you know, a lot of times I won't, 
even if I have like a nine iron or a wedge into a tough pin, instead of firing at the pin when I'm not playing well, I'm not swinging it well, I'm just going to play the middle of green, take big numbers out of play, make a lot of pars, throw in some birdies on easy holes and, you know, and get out of there with a, you know, one under or even on days when I'm really not feeling good with my swing. And that leads, you know, and that gives you an opportunity the next day, you know, to go out and shoot four or five under and get back into it. Like in Houston, you know, that second round, I shot 74, you know, the last five holes, I, I, re, I finished Saturday morning, my second round and I played the last five holes four over. I really didn't hit that, hit that bad of a shot on those, those four holes and five holes, but that really frustrated me that I finished that poorly. So I tried to take that energy and I was like, if I can get off to a good start, get off to a hot start in the third round, you know, and try and, you know, that double I made on 18 to finish the second round, you know, if I can birdie the first, the first hole or the second hole or something like that. Now that, that double turns into a bogey. And so I, I try and play mind games. And another thing that helps me is, you know, a lot of guys, their goal is to make the cut and their goal is to, or maybe their goal is to, you know, make it through second stage of Q school. If you sit there and you're, you're like, all right, the cut's going to be even. I'm at one under the start. Let's throw on the brakes. Let's just play conservative. A lot of times you're going to, you're going to mess up and you're going to, you know, miss the cut by one or two. My mindset now is, you know, get as far in front of the cut or get far as front of the top 10 or get, get, you know, get a five shot lead so I can make quad on 18 and still make the cut or still win the tournament. And for whatever reason that frees me up to not, and I'm not saying I'm going to go fire at every pin. I still play conservative, but it doesn't, I never have that feeling of, all right, you need to, you know, slow down, make some pars. You know, I'm still motivated to just, just keep pushing the numbers as far ahead as possible. And that I, I tell a lot of, you know, a lot of people that that's a pretty good mindset because it takes pressure off you knowing, you know, if you plan for, if you plan a double 18, what do you need to do before 18, you know, to where you can double it and still win the golf tournament or still make the cut. Now, granted, when I get on 18, I'm not trying to make double, but it's just a mind game that I play with myself to motivate myself to keep pushing, keep, you know, if you're four under through eight, you know, get to seven under through through 14 so that if you make a double, you know, you had taken five under at the beginning of the day. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm fully aware it's a little bit different, but my buddy, Willie Wilcox, you know, he played on the PGA tour. I caddied for him a good, good amount one year. And he, uh, that's kind of how, that's kind of how his mind works. And, uh, so I think I learned that, learned that from him and it's been, it's been really good for me. Nice. That's awesome, dude. This has been good. Thank you so much for your time. Your insights are amazing. You're welcome to be a, a returning guest with, with your uh, all the things, your thoughts that you have here. It's it's really good. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're a little different, but I mean, I think everybody's you know, everybody has some little different quirks and you know different ways of going about it. So I think it. Uh, I think the main point I'd want to make is that find what works for you and get really good at it. Don't try and you know if you if you shallow it really hard, don't don't try and you know, not shallow, just find a way for when you shallow it, that it's on plane or in the golf swing and, and stop trying to be like, look at Jim Furyk. I mean, imagine if anybody ever changed his golf swing, he's made $70 million. So there's plenty of examples out there. Nobody's ever going to teach Dustin Johnson's back of the swing, but Butch Harmon give Butch Harmon all the credit in the world. He, he changed Ricky Fowler a little bit, but I mean, he could have gotten in there and tried to make them all look the same. And he takes good players takes what they do well and makes them even better. And that's what I don't, I see a lot of coaches nowadays taking players and trying to fit their, what they think the golf swing should look like. And it just doesn't work under pressure. Finding a golf swing and finding what works for you. So you can compete under pressure 
you know, the, the driving range, pulling a ball up and hitting the same seven iron 30 times and grooving that in is not going to translate to the golf course. You're not going to win golf tournaments by being a good range player. So my favorite topic is practice. So we'll have to save that whole your line there but that is uh we'll have to save that for another day because you could send me down a rabbit hole there with the questions for a while well yeah let me know if you ever if you ever (laughs) want to talk more about that i'd I'd be happy to uh and sometimes less is more another thing on practice a lot of guys whether they play really well they play really bad they feel like they need to go the driving range Uh, one of the most important things that i've noticed that i've realized is that confidence is hard to get and when you get confidence you have to protect it so if, if if you shoot seven under and everything's great, don't go to the driving range. You're going to go there because you think you need to go there. And then you go to the driving range and you start hitting it bad. And you're like, holy shit, I, I shot seven under today. Why am I hitting it bad now? And then, you, and then it, it can, doubt can creep in. So protecting confidence is just as important as, as having it. So that's another thing I do when I'm, when I'm playing well, I don't, I don't do anything mechanical. I don't go to the driving range after rounds maybe once in a while to, to get tempo. Maybe if I feel hit a couple of shots and I know it was because I got quick, I might go hit a few balls, but it's, it's very simple, you know, kind of easy stuff. Not, not trying to, you know, get overly mechanical with the, uh, with the golf swing. It's a great cartonism. Oftentimes the hardest yeah. thing to do is doing nothing at all. Exactly. You're spot on with it. But I, I mean that after I shot 65 on Saturday at, uh, in Houston, my caddy was like, you know, are we, are we going to practice at all? I'm like, I'm in the lead of a PGA tour event. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I, sh- I should probably go putt or something. And I was like, nah, nah, we played, we played 23 holes today. And I was like, let's just go chill. And, and I came, you know, I, I was, I was curious if I, if, you know, cause I played with a lot of nerves on Saturday. Well, not a lot of nerves. I felt real comfortable, but there's a lot of pressure. So I was like, maybe I should go to the range and just hit, hit some shots without pressure. And, and thank God I didn't because, I went and got rest and, and came out on Sunday and felt great. So um, protecting confidence and, and finding what works for you is, is I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of that. I have a lot of appre- appreciation for where I am because I've, you know, I know how hard it was on those, you know, going to Q school six straight years. I mean, holy, I mean, talk about not being able to sleep, you know, man, I'll tell you one story from Q school. It was actually three years ago today. It was at Plantation Preserve. It was, I had the chipping yips. I had the full blown chipping yips, but I was hitting it. And I was putting it really well. And I was hitting it okay. So the first round, I'm five under through eleven. You know, my caddy is one of my good friends, you know, Tyler Sloman. So we we on the first, uh, we got on the third hole. I started on the back, and I'm five under, kind of on cruise control, and I'm on the front fringe. But there was kind of a little elbow on the green. The pin was tucked kind of behind it on the back left. So there was water behind it. You know, twenty yards behind the pin, and if I putted it. I couldn't get it inside 12 feet. If I had a perfect putt and rolled it up through the fringe, it would still be 12 feet right. So he was like, yeah, just, you know, just throw a little nipper over that slope and it'll be, you know, I, I could have hit it. To, right now, if I chipped it, I'd probably hit it inside five feet, you know, probably 95% of the time. Well, I double hit it and made triple. And my, so the the full-blown chipping yips were there already and protecting confidence, going back to what I said earlier, I should have putted it, made bogey, or made the 15 footer and been, been away with it. But that double hitting that chip and making triple, not only did I go back to two under on day one is I didn't want to chip the rest of the tournament. So fast forward, I'm, I'm seven under and I'm one shot going into the final round. The number was at six under. So I had a one shot cushion. I couldn't sleep that night. Cause I knew if I missed the green, I was going to make double, maybe make bogey if I got lucky, but I was definitely not getting anything up and down that day. 
this was before I worked with Greg and, uh, I went out that final round and I shot hit 18 green shot 64 and one by two, but even coming down 16, I had a, I think I was five or six under on the day and I was probably five or six shots in front of the number. I still felt like if I missed the green, I could make a 10 because I just couldn't, I couldn't control my hands and I could whiff it or blade it or whatever it may be. So that, that was pretty crazy that three years ago, that was my mindset. And then fast forward three years and now I'm in the masters and all this. So it's crazy what, you know, what, how life can change in three years. But, you know, even then I give myself a lot of credit because I easily could have, you know, just completely blown up, but I found a game plan that the, the, the way I was hitting it, I knew I couldn't miss a green. And if I did miss a green, I had to be in the fairway or a bunker. So I could either putt it or, you know, I've always been a good bunker player. So, you know, looking back on, you know, second stage of Q schools finishing today. So it's, it's pretty crazy to look back three years ago. I just, you know, I, I was, had the full blown chipping yips and double hitting chips weekly. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I hit every green. Cause if I hadn't got through that day with a chipping yips, you know, down in plantation, there's no way I'd, you know, be holding the Houston open trophy and, and have this three year exemption. So, Oh man, what a story. I think we just found our intro yeah. to the podcast there. That's uh, it is uh it is a hundred percent it is a hundred percent accurate, you know, to a T. That my 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 buddy Tyler, he's one of my best friends and he uh he always brings that chip up. He's like, Man, that was an easy chip. He's like, and you didn't want to chip it and I told you to chip it and you still made you see you double hit it and made triple. He's like, Man, what a terrible caddy but he didn't know you know, I kinda held that in. I knew I mean, I wasn't a good chipper, but people didn't know the demons that I was facing, you know, at the time and so a lot of respect for people that have yips, it's it's a real thing. Well, we could keep chatting here all day. I, I got to let you go. Uh, thank you so much all for right. your time. I appreciate it. it. And um, yeah, maybe I, if, if you don't mind, I'll reach out in a little while and we'll continue the conversation on something. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it, man. 